Jesus deserves a response. Jesus' words demand a response. We all respond, whether it is intentional or unintentional, we respond to Jesus. Either it's active responding or it's passive responding, we respond. Luke 12, 51, Jesus says this, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Now, now Jesus is not saying he's not the peace because he is peace. He's the peace that makes no sense. He's the peace that suppresses all understanding. He is the shalom, the oneness, the, the one that brings us peace in places we don't understand and why we don't understand it. But what the point he's trying to say here is, so listen, my peace, my presence, my kingdom, my rule divides. It divides. The way I live divides this world. It confuses the world. It disrupts the way of the world. Jesus divides. On the cross, Jesus is willing and actively participating. He is not a passive participant on the cross. He chose the cross. He chose to be there. On the cross, Jesus is not silent. He does not whimper. Jesus proclaims. He testifies. Jesus evangelizes. He speaks out and lives the good news. On the cross, Jesus' words and actions demand a response. How will you respond? How have you responded? How are you responding? On the cross, we have heard Jesus proclaim, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus in that moment prays for us. He intercedes for us on behalf of words that we can't pray, words that we don't know. He asks the Father for, our, for us to be forgiven. He intercedes praying, and then he intercedes by being on the cross, taking our sin. He's the intercession for forgiveness. Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me on paradise to the criminal. Jesus demonstrates forgiveness. He asks for forgiveness. And then the fulfillment of that prayer happens moments later when that criminal, his heart is turned. He turns to Jesus, accepts him, believes in who he is, repents, and he is forgiven, restored relationship with God. Jesus says on the cross, woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Jesus reorients, redefines what family is. The gospel and the cross point us to that we are adopted. We are part of God's adopted family, that God chose us. On the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes scripture on the cross repeatedly. Here he quotes Psalm 22 and proclaims the wrath of God. He takes on the wrath of God in which we deserve. And Jesus proclaims and demonstrates faith, faith in the Father's plan and will, and a proclamation of wrath and faith, a living testimony of words and actions. Jesus on the cross says, I thirst, showing the intensity of his suffering, 
the expression of his love for God's words, an act of obedience to fulfill those prophecies over and over again. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. Jesus completes the work of the incarnation, the purpose of God, and he completes the work and the, the plan, the Father's plan of atonement, saving us. And here, his last word on the cross, Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Seven times Jesus moves his lips on the cross. Seven times he speaks out boldly and loudly. Seven is the number of completion, perfection. Seven is the number of days in the week. Six days it took God to create the world, the whole universe. And on the seventh day, God rested. And here it is on the cross. Six words. And all of humanity is being restored. All of creation is being created anew in six words. Ending it is, it is finished. And the seventh word is a word of rest for Jesus. God enters his rest once again. Jesus is here claiming an intimate relationship and a deep communion with the Father, one that he's eager to be back in, having have to been forsaken on the cross for our sake. The foundation of all eternity is based on this united father-son relationship, steeped in love, just like ever saying on the cross. Jesus is directly quoting or referring to Scripture. He's fulfilling prophecy of the Messiah. He's fulfilling prophecy of our salvation. He's fulfilling prophecy of our redemption. And here it is in this last word, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus quotes Psalm 31. Let's read the first five verses. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that you, they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Jesus, quoting and referencing this psalm, claims intimacy, communion with the Father, eager to be back in there, that you, God, have redeemed me from this, this net, this trap in which humanity has set for me, which the evil one has set before me. And here he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He doesn't finish it on the cross, but it's implied that you have redeemed me. Not only has the Father redeemed His Son, not only will He save Jesus, but He saves us. A faithful God.
And here he is. Jesus acknowledges the trustworthiness of the Father. And he submits and he obeys. Glorify the Father, even unto his death. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With the seventh and the last loud, declaring from the cross, we hear Jesus proclaim intimacy with the Father. We hear Jesus proclaim sovereignty, proclaiming sovereignty with the Father. And we hear him submitting, submission to the Father, obedience. Jesus, as he's always done and always will do, proclaims and states intimacy with God the Father. If you noticed in these words on the cross, there's a chiasm, right? Where the, the beginning, the end, and they kind of go back and forth between. In the middle of this chiasm is, right, Father, why have you forsaken me? This kind of purpose of taking on the wrath, the purpose of the cross. And at the two bookends of that, the, two first, the first word and the last word are Father. Both pleading, intimacy, Father, forgive them, and Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There is a deep covenantal, a promise communion, a loving union between Jesus and his Father, the Father and the Son. One of the first stories we hear in the Gospel of Luke is the account of a young Jesus, a 12-year-old Jesus, staying behind in Jerusalem, and his parents uh, looking for him. They, they traveled on and for two or three days and they realized Jesus isn't with them and they begin asking, where is it? And they find Jesus back in the temple teaching. And he radically states to them, like, where have you been, Jesus? And he states in Luke 2, 49, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He later proclaims in Luke 10, 22, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. The Son chooses to reveal Him. Jewish people understood themselves to be sons and daughters of God. Right? They understood that God chose them out of the people of the earth, that He adopted them. But they had never had the audacity to address God directly as Father. There are a few compelling Old Testament texts that refer to God as Father, as their Father. And in all of those contexts of those verses, God is not referred to as God the Father Creator, but it's God the Father Redeemer, the Father that redeems, as the Father fulfilling His promise to His beloved children. Jesus' use of this term referring to God as Father, rattles people. It upsets them. It upsets them that he's, he's saying, I have a, a tight union, that the Father and I are one. That I commune with Him. It angers the people. Jesus, when confronted in healing on the Sabbath, responded in John 5, 7-18. says, my Father is working now on the Sabbath. And I am working, he says. My father was working, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It wasn't just that Jesus seemingly was breaking the law of the Sabbath, 
which he wasn't. But it was their laws of the Sabbath. That wasn't really what wanted them to kill him. What really set them over the head is that he had the audacity to call God his father. To have this intimate communion with God. In a sense, the father and I are one. We're equal. This is what says, that's it. You can't call, you can't call God your dad. You can't call him Abba. Jesus pushes the point even further with them, referring to those that don't follow him, not as God their father, but something much worse. In John 8, 44, it says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. I mean, there you have it. Jesus creating division right there. He said, listen, you're either father, your father is either God, or your father is either Satan, the devil. You can see why that might then upset people. This is an important understanding that Jesus has an intimate union with the father. That we are separated from the Father, which is why Jesus goes to the cross. That we don't have this intimacy with the Father. Unless we have intimacy with Jesus, unless we're united with Jesus, we are never united with the Father. Unless we're loving Jesus, following Jesus, we are never united with God the Father. And that's the whole purpose of the cross, so that we are united with Jesus, Him taking on our sins and Him giving us our righteousness. John 10.30, Jesus says it very clearly, I and the Father are one. And then John 14.6-7, Jesus said to His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. At, his, at the last discourse in, in, in John, in, in the upper room, when he gives the last supper in John chapters 14 through 16, 45 times Jesus refers to God as his father. He pushes at the point. In the next chapter in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus refers to the Father six times, calls God Father. One of them, John 17, 23. I in them, he's talking to the Father, in them, to the apostles, to his disciples. I in them, and you in me. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved me. You see how that works? You're not united with the Father unless you're united with Jesus. He's the intermediary. Jesus prays that out loud. Let them be one with me. Let them be one with you as you and I are one through me. Here at the cross, Jesus once again boldly proclaims, as he had throughout his life, 
And he reaches out to God as Father. Jesus, the Son, and the Father are one. At this moment, like every other moment, all the time, at every point in history, they are one. There is no conflict ever between the Father and the Son. The Father's power is always the Son's power. The Father's ability is always the Son's ability. The Father's will is always the Son's will. The Father's plan is always the Son's plan. The Father's Spirit is always the Son's Spirit. They are one. And Jesus, with His last word on the cross, claims this intimacy and communion with the Father. They are one. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands he commits our spirits. Which leads us to the point that Jesus proclaims God, the Father, and his sovereignty on the cross. Jesus proclaims the Father's sovereignty and therefore He proclaims the God, His own sovereignty, His own ability to rule at the cross. Remember, He gives His life at the cross. No one takes His life. He willingly goes to the cross. God the Father determined to send God the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father's plan from the foundation of the world. He promised this to Satan at the fall. So listen, I'm going to crush your head, Satan. You will, you will snap and you will bite and you will bruise the heel of the Savior. But I promise this will happen. Jesus is our Savior by taking on human flesh, our flesh, living a perfectly obedient life, and then dying, taking our place, the wrath that we deserve, the penalty that we deserve, death on the cross. Jesus and the Father are always in control, always sovereign. God is in control right now, right in this moment. It may not seem like it. It may seem like the world is out of control, but God is in control right now. There is not a virus. There is not a disease. There is not a weather pattern. There is not a natural disaster that is outside of God's sovereignty. Nothing is outside of it. That is our hope. That nothing is outside of His plan and purpose. And He can take evil things that we do and evil in the world and He can make it to, for His will, for our good. He can take killing of His Son for the greatest good in the world. This is the sovereignty in which God has. The Holy Spirit applies the benefits of Jesus' death by regenerating us from the inside out and thus leading to us to a place of faith. This is God's sovereign plan. Leading us to proclaim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. All of this was God's plan before our first breath. Before we were a twinkle in our parents' eyes. Before our first rebellion against Him before the foundation of the world. This, this phrase, into your hands, it's an idiom, 
I mean into, into your control, God, into your, into your rule, Father, into your sovereignty, I give myself. In the Old Testament, God would use this idiom to talk about uh, giving Israel over to their enemies, I give them over to your hands, or they would talk about, I'm, we're giving it back into my, your hands, Father. I, I give myself, I, I willingly submit to your sovereignty. Or God said, I'm going to give you into the hands of evil people to discipline you. Here, Jesus is using it, this idiom, into your hands to speak truth, that God is sovereign. Luke 10, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. This is before the cross. This is before the resurrection. The Son says, look at the Father has handed all things to me. I am sovereign. I am in control. Jesus is preaching that his life has been, is, and will always be past, present, future, eternal, in obedience into the hands of the sovereign creator, ruler of the universe. And he and God are one. He and the Father are one. In the perception of Satan, in the perception of the rest of the world, Jesus is in their hands at the cross. In fact, this is God's plan, is to hand over his life to sinners, the rulers of this world. Matthew 17, 22, 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of man. Now, we know that man does not have much sovereignty. But so look at I'm going to let them do what they're going to do. In reality, God is always in control. But I'm going to hand myself into their hands for a moment. And they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. This distresses them. This distresses us. Because it seems like Jesus is losing. It seems like he has lost control. That It seems like the cross is not about his sovereignty. The cross is about his defeat. The cross is about a loss of control. It's our perception, it's the world's perception that this is not victory. This is defeat. But Jesus is always committing himself into the sovereignty of the Father, into the Father's plans. His rest and his meditation is always with the Father and his plans. In his hands does Jesus rest. The Father and Son are one. And so they are in their hands and plans together. The Father hands all things over to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. I just want you to hear that clearly. It sounds like a lot of things going on there. But it's very, the Father allows all things to be in subject to the Son instead of the Father. And what does the Son do? The Son, because the Father does this, subjects Himself all the time to the Father. That's how they're one. That's how the same way in which we get to know the Father because we know the Son because he is connected to the Father because he is constantly in submission to the Father, constantly in obedience to the Father, and then their sovereignty is one in that moment. 
And then we get to be in the Father's sovereignty. We understand the Father's sovereignty when we understand Jesus' sovereignty. The Father and Son are one and sovereign together as one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whose hands do you commit yourself to? Whose hands do you trust? Do you trust yours? Do you trust your plans? Do you trust the president's plans? Do you trust the, co- the governor's? Do you trust your mayor's plans? Congress's plans? Do you trust the economy? Do you trust capitalism? Do you trust socialism? Whose hands do you trust? Do you trust the courts? Do you trust the wheels of justice on this earth? Whose hands do you commit yourself to? Who do you declare is sovereign in your life? Your answer to those questions will reveal what you worship and who you worship, and it will reveal your idols. Father, into your hands I commit your spirit. Jesus declares intimacy, communion with the Father. He declares equal sovereignty, and he declares the Father's sovereignty at the cross. And then here with the last word, Jesus leads in the final declaration from the beginning of his life, to the beginning, to the death, he always models submission and servanthood, obedience to the Father. In his last breath on the cross, as every breath he has ever taken, it is an act of submission and worship to the Father. I commit my spirit. I commend my spirit. I entrust my spirit. I set before you my spirit. I give over my spirit to you. The idea is clear. That it isn't just in these waning moments that Jesus commits. He commends his whole life, past, present, future, eternity, to the Father. Every moment Jesus submits to the Father. Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. An act of submission. Philippians 2, 6-8, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, one who's obedient, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I mean, this is the point. Every aspect from birth to death, to all eternity, Jesus is always obedient. The Son is always obedient to the Father. This is more than submission. This is just as this is more than just saying, I, I submit to you, I obey whatever you do. This is united in plan and purpose with the Father. This is Jesus being an intercessor on our behalf, doing what we cannot do. Submit. Obey. This is Jesus on our behalf submitting and obeying to the Father. With the last words and pleas and promise, Jesus intercedes for us yet one more time. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
I commit, it's not his Holy Spirit, it's his human spirit, his human life, not his divine spirit. Jesus is presenting not just his spirit, because we are united with Jesus on the cross, right? He, we're united, our sins are united, we are united, he unites us with his righteousness. Jesus says, I commit my spirit. What he's really also saying is, I commit their spirits as well too. He commits our spirits to the Father, because you and I can't. Jesus offers us to the Father. John 6, 35 through 40, this idea that Jesus is presenting us to the Father. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. He's talking about people. All who ever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down for heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Did you hear that? Jesus says, okay, the Father has given me an inheritance, people, brothers and sisters. And the will of the Father is I shall not lose any of them. And so here on the cross, he's not going to lose any of us. That's why he dies on the cross, so he doesn't lose any of us. The gift that he got, the Father has given him. He dies and takes on our wrath so that we could be united with him, united with the Father, so he doesn't lose the gift that he's given. He makes us holy. He raises us up. He doesn't lose us on the cross. He gains us. And it goes on in verse 40. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus has accomplished it. That's the previous word. He has finished it. He has paid our debt. He has taken on the wrath of God that was meant for us. He has given us His righteousness. Not only now, but he, now he presents and commends us to the Father. He commends his life of obedience and says, this is their life of obedience. I am in their place. He commends us and he commits our life because we have been united with Jesus on the cross. Communion with God. Thanks to our brother and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With the seventh and last loud declaration from the cross, we hear Jesus pray intimacy with the Father. We hear Jesus proclaim sovereignty with the Father. We hear Jesus proclaim submission and committing not just his submission, his life of obedience, but committing us, communion with us, commending us to the Father. What is your response to Jesus? What is your response to these words? To these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today, you will be in paradise with me. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Just as Jesus 
commends and commits us to the Father. Our response to Jesus is we should commit our lives to Him. What would it look like for us to speak out and live out Jesus? Into your hands we commit our spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus. I will follow you. What is our obedience to God look like? First, uh, we cannot die like Jesus died. We cannot live our lives like he did. We cannot offer our lives like he did for the sake of others. We do not have that ability. Those are all we can we can lay down our lives and we can we can give and be generous. Those are all things that we could do to follow him and submit to him. But we are not the sovereign one. We do not offer other people's lives on their behalf. In fact, we don't render our lives at all. God takes it, doesn't he? So let us be people that are willing, perfectly willing to entrust our lives to him. That's what it means to commit and to commend ourselves to Jesus. To commit ourselves, to entrust him, to give it to him. Acts 7.59, Jesus, uh, St- Stephen, as he's been stoned to death, He calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This same idea. I commend myself to you, Jesus. I trust in you, Jesus, with his last words. Stephen knows that Jesus is the only mediator between him and the Father. Romans 14.8, for if we live, if you and I live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. Whether we recognize it or not, we are God's. What's your response? Are you willing to trust Jesus? Are you willing to commend your life to Him? So that's the first thing, is to trust Him. Second, if we render our life, uh, it doesn't start with an outward action or some obedience to some law of God or some requirement for our salvation. That's where our mind goes. That, okay, I've got to do something to earn what Jesus has done for me. That's not the gospel. That's not the grace that God has given us. But where I would start we is that we entrust. I trust. I trust what God has done. I trust what Jesus has done at the cross. And just like Jesus at the cross, Jesus commends his whole life to the Father. And he demonstrates that by being in the Word of God. How do we entrust our lives to God? I think it means to be people of the Word, to commend ourselves to the Word. This cry on the cross, just like all of them, are are direct quotations or allusions to the Old Testament, to the Word of God. From the very beginning to the very end of Jesus' human life, He commits Himself to being about God's Word, to studying it, to reflecting upon it, to praying over it, to interpreting it, and yes, memorizing it. So here, even on his greatest pain, he can quote it. Jesus didn't wait to entrust his spirit to the Father in his last words, but he did it in every moment, and even his last. He did it in his first and foremost, and he did it in his last. Commit himself to God's word. The point is that we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't wait to the moment of our death to entrust our life to Jesus. 
But today, we should entrust ourselves to Jesus. We should entrust ourselves to being committed to God's Word. Because that's how you're going to know who Jesus is. That's how you're going to be in relationship with Him. It's how Jesus was in relationship with the Father. Why would it be any different for us? We need to be committed and commend ourselves to the reflecting, the praying, the memorizing, the studying, and reading of God's Word. May we do that today. And then tomorrow, may we do the same. And then the day after that. Our transformation happens from the inside out, and it starts with God's Word. Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That starts with God's Word, the renewing of your mind. Putting in the right content. We renew our mind by being in God's Word, by knowing God's Word. Then we know what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Then we know what His will is through our, for our life, through God's will. Just like being tempted in the wilderness. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And what does He say? He quotes and directs, quotes Scripture. He says, this is my food. This is how I live through God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. You know this verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We will be completed. We will be trained in righteousness and we will be equipped for the good works that God has prepared for us when we're in His Word when we commend ourselves to Jesus and we commend ourselves to His Word, when we're committed to that. We trust in God only. We trust in God only when we're committed in His Word. Faith is grown only through the hearing of the Word. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Could it be any clearer? You ask God maybe to grow your faith, help you with your belief. Here's how you do it. It's through His Word. He said it clearly. You ask that question, the answer is going to be, be in my Word. Open up the Bible. Open your app. I'm actually flabbergasted that I have given a free gift to you. It's actually not flabbergasting to me. A free gift of this Dwell app, which you can saturate and listen to the Word of God over and over again, having someone read it to you. Many people read it to you. It's free. Do you know how many people have taken that free offer and downloaded this app and subscribed it for 60 days? Free. Nine people. It doesn't really surprise me because, listen, when we're given the free gift of the cross, when we're given this grace, we still are like, well, is it really free? As Jesus declared with a loud and triumphant last cry at the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He declared intimacy with the Father. He declared God's sovereignty and he declared submission to the Father's will. And he commended us to the Father. For us to be intimate with God, for us to know and declare his sovereignty in our life, for us to know and submit to his will, we must model that last cry of Jesus and commit each and every and praying and mesmerized, mesmerized, being mesmerized, memorizing God's word. May the yearning and the cry of your heart 
be for God's words because it's for God. May, may the end and only then will you entrust your life to Jesus. Entrust your spirit to them, Him, our Lord and Savior. May it be so now and forevermore. Jesus' words demand a response. What will your response be?